Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. If these resources have been a blessing to you, we would be honored if you would consider making a donation to our church building fund. To learn more about this unique challenge ahead of us and to partner with us for a gospel legacy in Missoula, please visit achurchbuilding.com. That's achurchbuilding.com. We're in the book of Colossians today. Like Tyler said, this is kind of a one-off sermon uh, this morning, and it's my hope that the unwavering truth of God's word would help us all remain stable and steadfast in the midst of the trials that we find ourselves in today. So have you ever been to an event where someone received an introduction? Maybe you've seen a national speaker or heard an author give a talk. Maybe someone important came to a graduation and charged the students to make the world a better place. I think we've all heard a talk like this. And so we've all heard someone get introduced. Inside a good introduction, uh, we hear about where someone came from, what they've achieved, what they're working on now. You know, a good introduction, it whets our appetite to know more. An introduction's a call to pay attention. And so when the Apostle Paul introduces Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 to 23, it's a call to do just that, to pay attention. Who is this Jesus? Where did he come from? What has he done? What is he doing now, and why should we care? And before we go any further, I'd like to pray again. Uh, Father God, uh, we come to you today fully known by you. There's not a thing about us that you don't know. God, you know our hearts and you know our fears, our weaknesses and our sorrows. And Lord, you love us still. And Lord, we ask you today that we'd know you more, trust you more, and love you more as we get introduced again to your son, Jesus. And may your word and gospel today create a sure foundation for our hopes And Lord, may your spirit unite our church even as we're apart today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, 
became a minister. Wow, like what a beautiful passage. What an amazing and clarifying introduction to the person and the work of Jesus. This is an unparalleled introduction. There is no one like Jesus. And when I read this out loud to myself, why do I even have to preach? And then I turn on the news. I look out into this room. I think about all the conversations I've had uh, in the last couple of weeks, and I know where people's hearts are. I know where mine is. And when Paul wrote the book of Colossians, he was writing to people who were struggling with what to believe and where to put their hope. And I think that today, many are struggling with the same thing. And as we dive into this passage, uh, there are three things that we're going to see. This morning, we're going to see how the Bible describes all that Jesus is. We're going to see why sin is the greatest problem of all, the greatest problem we've ever had. And how faith in the gospel is all that we need to solve our greatest problem. And if there's something to remember today, uh, a thought to hold in your mind uh, during this message, it's this. Because God is able to save, I can be stable in faith. Because God is able to save, I can be stable in faith. So let's uh, begin to unpack our first section. All that Jesus is. And within this point, we can actually see uh, two distinct categories of description that help us know Jesus better. And the first is an introduction to Jesus, our creator. And the second is an introduction to Jesus, our savior. And we see Jesus, our creator, in verses 15 to 17. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There is a lot here. This could be the whole message right here. The first verse could be the whole message. Those of you who are parents, uh, maybe uh, you worked in the nursery here too. Uh, Have you ever had a kid draw a picture of you? Like they work so hard on it. (laughs) They draw it, they bring it up to you because they're so proud of it. They want you to look at it and you're like, thank you. I kind of look really fat in your picture. (laughs) And the space between my teeth is bigger than I remembered, but thank you so much. You know, you get one of these pictures And all of your features have been exaggerated. Exaggerated in one way or another. The image created is of you, but barely, right? But when it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, what he means is that he is God. He's exactly God. Who he is and what he is like is exactly what God is like. He is the image of God. And Paul is not the only one who says this. Uh, Jesus in John 10, 27 to 30 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. And again in John 14, 6 to 9, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's good enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus and the Father are one. He's the image of the invisible God, and Jesus has made the invisible God visible. It goes on to say in uh, verse 15 of our passage that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And when you look at that, you might be thinking, well, how can he be the firstborn of creation if he's God? God isn't a created being. This is exactly the kind of thing that makes him God, right? He's the uncreated one. But this language of Jesus being the firstborn isn't referring to Jesus being created. It's referring to his status. He's the firstborn of all creation, and it's the firstborn who receives an inheritance. Jesus is the eternally begotten, not created Son of God, and all creation is his. And the first three verses in the book of Hebrews fleshes this thought out a little more. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus Christ, the heir of all things. And so right at the start, in the first verse of our passage today, in one verse, we've gained a deep insight into who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God, exactly God, the firstborn of all creation. Creation and all that's in it is his inheritance. So knowing God and his deity and his godliness and in his status It leads us to awe. It leads us to worship. And reflecting on who he is and his power, it can change our experience as believers today, especially as we experience the kind of trials and disconnection that we have in front of us right now. God has no need to shelter in place. Today, he is with us still. And just as he said in Matthew 28, he is with us always. What we believe about Jesus is so important. Believing right things about Jesus is so important. What we believe about Jesus is the most important thing that we believe because it redefines everything else. Believing right things about Jesus doesn't give you ammunition for a theology debate. It gives you a refuge of hope because you know and believe that Jesus is above and before all things. Finishing up our introduction to Jesus, our creator, 
Our next verse in Colossians uh, 1, 16 to 17 says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Isn't it good news to hear that someone is holding all things together? That suffering isn't senseless and without meaning? Isn't it good news today to hear that rulers and authorities that have an effect on our lives right now were created to serve at the pleasure of God's sovereign will? Isn't it good news to know that everything was made for a reason? I want you to take a moment and to ask yourself a question. Is the glory of God the reason why I do what I do? Is the thing that drives me, my actions, how I treat my spouse or my kids or my family, is the thing that drives me in my work uh, from making art to closing a real estate deal to installing a furnace, is the reason why I do what I do, how I do it, the glory of God. Because all things were created through him and for him. And that includes you. Jesus is the creator and you are not. You are created like everyone and everything else. And I hope this doesn't burst the bubble that holds your self-worth and your self-esteem. Uh, because this thought should not make you feel small or insignificant. And that's because you are not the author of your significance. In fact, if you're a Christian today, the most significant thing about you is that Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the whole world and all that is in it, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the most significant thing about you is that this Jesus would lay down his life for you so that you might be restored to God. And this is uh, our next look into all that Jesus is, an introduction to Jesus, our Savior. Picking up at verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, this morning, I'm so thankful uh, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and though we are scattered and we are separated over many miles this morning, uh, in these moments where being connected as Sovereign Hope Church uh, feels impossible, we are still wonderfully and eternally connected to Jesus Christ, and he is faithful. But I miss our church. <laughs> I miss gathering together. I want this to be over. I can say as a pastor of this church that the sorrow and the loss of our meeting together has made me appreciate even more 
the sweetness of our gathering together. Jesus has saved us to be his people together, to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another in the gospel, to teach one another and disciple one another and care for one another. I hope that in this season that you are uh, calling and texting and reaching out to uh, brothers and sisters in this church, praying for one another and meeting uh, needs as you can. And this glorifies God because our love for one another reflects our understanding of the great love that God had for us as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Back to verse 18. It says, he is the uh, head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the creator and firstborn of creation. And he is the firstborn from the dead. The scripture says that this is so, that in everything he might be preeminent. And preeminent is a fancy way of saying first. Jesus is first. He is before all else. The head goes first. He's before all things, including resurrection and the new life that is promised to believers. And if Jesus is the firstborn, who is the secondborn? It's his body. It's the church. The head goes first and his body, the church, follows. And this is good news. Good news for today. I don't know if you watch a lot of news. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're all watching so much news, right? Can't stop. But if you needed good news today, which I think we do, if you're afraid and anxious about this world, I'd like to comfort you, to remind you that this world is not your home. And as Jesus dies and rises first, he's showing what will be happening for all believers one day. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and that it is coming those who belong to Christ. So has the hope of heaven been real to you before all this? Or has it taken something like a worldwide pandemic to wake you up to eternal realities? Has it taken a stock market crash to help you see that your treasure should be stored in heaven? Has suddenly being out of control helped you turn in worship to the one who holds it all together? This then is God's grace to you. Embrace it. Treasure it. Thank God for it. See Jesus Christ for all that he is and your heart will be satisfied no matter what uncertainty the days ahead hold. And if you're not a believer today, maybe God, through these uncertain times, through his word and his spirit has gotten your attention, you've found that the places you've placed your hopes are counterfeit. 
You're looking for peace where there is no peace. And you've loved the world and now you find it does not love you back. This is because nothing in this world can satisfy you or save you or give you security. Only Jesus can. 1 John 15, 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Praise God that Jesus, our head, has gone to make a way for us, his body, to enter into eternity with him and that God is right now helping our hearts to love him more than we love the world. We love God because he loved us when we were unlovable. While we were still sinners, Christ, the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, is also our Savior who died for us and paid our ransom. Now we're going to move on to our second point, the greatest problem of all. Picking up back in verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You know, there's an uh, interesting word in our passage today. It's the word all. It's used over and over and over again, and it is creating this rhythm and emphasis for the whole passage. So let's point some light on it. Here are all the alls about Jesus in this passage. In verse 15, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. In verse 16, Jesus created all things, and all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, Jesus is before all things. Again, in verse 17, Jesus is holding all things together. Verse 19, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in verse 20, Jesus has reconciled to himself all things. And I bring this up because as we wrap our minds around all that Jesus is, we come face to face with a stark reality. Look at verse 19 and 20. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The fullness of God and the blood of a cross. This Jesus, who is all of these things, had to suffer and die in order for there to be any hope that we might please God. But this is the cost of our sin. Our greatest problem is not COVID-19 or volatility in the stock market 
Our greatest problem is that we've sinned against a perfect and holy God. And left to our abilities, we would have no hope for things to be made right with him. And our problem with sin is so drastic, so profound, so costly that the creator of the world has to die and shed his blood in our place so that we might be able to be reconciled to God. God knows exactly how big our problem is. And Jesus has always been exactly what we've needed. Let me ask you something. Have you ever inaccurately addressed the scope of a problem? All the men at home should be raising their coffee mugs in the air, right? (laughs) Maybe you, like me, have at some point miscalculated what it will take to fix the plumbing under your sink. And then, after a while, you find yourself taking the fifth trip uh, from Lolo to Home Depot on North Reserve to grab one more part. You know, most of the time, we do a terrible job assessing things. And we do a terrible job assessing the destructiveness of sin. We think we can figure it out. We think we can feel okay with ourselves. We can clearly see the things that are wrong with other people, but we deny the reality about what has gone on in our own hearts and with our own actions. God does not have this problem. He sees everything for what it is. And verse 21 of our passage helps us to see what sin has done to our relationship with God. Verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Because of sin, we were alienated from God. We were estranged from him. We were hostile in our minds. Our thoughts about God were not only wrong, they were opposed to him. We were his enemy. We were actively evil, engaging in evil actions against a holy God. Have you thought about your sin this way? Whether you're a believer or not, what effect would it have on the way you uh, lived your life if you held in your mind the great cost of sin? For believers, while our sins have been forgiven in Christ, we can grow callous in our relationship with God when we continue in sin, become an ineffective testimony of the gospel change that we say we've experienced. For unbelievers, without faith in Jesus, the situation is much worse. To be alienated from God, hostile in mind, and evil indeed, is to be under God's wrath and utterly without hope. Sin separates us from God. Without faith in Jesus, that separation is eternal. But when we were without hope, without the ability to even understand the depth of our problem, Jesus, this Jesus who is all of the alls, he looked on sinners with mercy. And in verse 22, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Only Jesus can make the alienated, the hostile, and evil people, holy 
blameless and above reproach. There's only ever been one person in the history of the world that has been holy, blameless, and above reproach. But as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's not our righteousness that we get here. It's God's righteousness. And we get it not because our our faith is righteous, but because we are in Christ. Faith unites us to Christ. He's the head and we're the body. He takes our sin. We take his righteousness to the praise of his glorious grace. No, the greatest problem in the world isn't going to be solved by Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi or even Dr. Fauci. The greatest problem in the world has already been solved by Jesus Christ. He took our sins in his body. He paid the penalty for them in full. Because God is able to save, I can be stable in faith. If Christ can do all that he can do, I can trust him. Let's finish up and move to our last section today, that faith in the gospel is all we need. Faith in the gospel is all we need. A sin and our separation from God, it has always been our greatest problem. And the only solution to our problem with sin is the gospel of Jesus. This is a true statement. I would agree with it but I want to clarify it a little more. The only solution to our problem with sin is the gospel of Jesus and believing. You must believe to be saved. Belief is what it comes down to. Faith is what it comes down to. That's what it's always been. We are saved through faith. Let's finish our, finish our passage. Uh, we'll back things up to verse 21 for a little context. And it says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. We are saved through faith and we must continue in faith. Through a faith that doesn't move, through a faith that is stable and steadfast and doesn't shift from the hope of the gospel. You know, the way the world is going right now, our hearts are going to be tempted. And while faith in the gospel is all that we need for peace in our hearts, we'll be tempted in the coming weeks to think that we need more, to think that Jesus is not enough, to think that what will save us is the gospel plus, the gospel plus a big savings account, the gospel plus health, or the gospel plus a big stack of toilet paper. Um, at the end of it all, every other hope can fail you, but Jesus never will. I read a Tim Keller quote this week, and it said, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. 
today would be a good day to ask yourself, have I allowed anything to shift my hope of salvation from faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection? Am I trusting in Jesus plus something? What are some ways that my faith isn't stable and how can it be helped? If you're wondering how faith grows, I have one last piece of good news. Faith grows in times like this. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 say it this way. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. To have the gospel of Jesus as your only hope is to be lacking nothing. To have the gospel of Jesus as your only hope is to be lacking nothing. It provides a clarity to your trials a refuge for your weary soul, a comfort for your anxious heart, and a peace that passes all understanding. When we trust and depend on Christ and find him faithful, our faith grows. It grows deep and tall, and this is what we will need to weather life's storms. That's what we will need to be stable and steadfast. We have an opportunity today to grow in our faith and be distinct in this world as believers in Jesus. Do not miss it. So today as we close, maybe you've been introduced to Jesus Christ today or maybe in the midst of all the panic around us, you've had a badly needed reintroduction. I want to encourage you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to encourage you to look at all that Christ is and consider the lengths that he has gone to, what he endured to restore us to God, and to believe that we don't need to be anxious about the days ahead because we trust in the one who holds it all together. The Lord of all creation suffered in life so that you might not fear death, and he will not leave you now. Don't turn to the right or to the left to find hope. Christ is still your salvation and your peace, and he has already proved himself faithful at the cross, caring perfectly for your soul now and for eternity. And because God is able to save, we can be stable in faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for um, the sweetness of your word today. Lord, we thank you for what we know about you. God, we thank you in these times uh, for our experience with you. I've talked with so many who have turned back to your word and turned back to prayer. God, I pray that we would uh, trust you and believe you for this life and for the life to come. Lord, that we would be a distinct people in this time uh, that life finds us. And God, that we would honor Christ with our words and our actions. 
Lord, may everything that we do glorify you. God, I pray for our church that we would uh, rally uh, to one another in aid and in encouragement, taking advantage of all the tools that we have before us in this day. Uh, Lord, help there be phone calls again (laughs) in a world where uh, people only text. God, I pray that there would be uh, uh, wonderful times of uh, prayer and communication facilitated by these gifts that we have. And God, I pray that you would uh, continue to help our church know uh, that though we are apart, we are forever connected to our head, Jesus Christ, the one who created the world, holds it together, and died to reconcile us to God. Lord, we love you, and today we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.